The Wide Right Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Now, the Hurricanes are playing their final game this coming Saturday at home against Louisville. They got two more after that, but their final home game, Senior Day, really important to get out and support the Hurricanes. Uh, make sure you use the Game Time app when you do it. You're going to get a chance to see uh, panoramic seat views from every section. Uh, and not only that, the Miami Heat are playing great. So once the Hurricanes' home schedule is over, make sure you get yourself some Heat tickets using the Game Time app. The app is simple, quick, easy to navigate. Two-tap checkout. Uh, and really, when you... So go ahead and go to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. It's going to be a real lonely ride. It's going to be sad, too. We took over Tally, though. We really run Tally now. What are you, 3-1? Well, I'm 3-1 in my career. 3-1. Really supposed to be 4-0, though. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast, where the Miami Hurricanes and uh, everybody around the program, the fans, they have completely forgotten about that Georgia Tech loss. They are exuberant after last night's 27-10 win up in Tallahassee. The players were so happy, uh, jumping up into the stands, celebrating with them. It was like a kumbaya moment last night for the Hurricanes. It was, uh, it was amazing to watch, and of course, I'm going to welcome in our guest here, who is always on really as a psychologist after losses, but today we're bringing him on as the the voice of reason, the voice of content, the the, the smartest guy in the room. Calvin Harris, uh, thanks for coming back on with me, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it feels weird that I don't have to talk you off the ledge. <laughs> well, twenty-seven to ten last night, and um, while this win was certainly impressive because it's the third in a row over Florida State. That had to have been the worst Florida State team I have seen with my own eyes in person uh, because I didn't watch them in the 1970s. It's been a long time, I think, since Florida State looked that bad. And, you know, the offensive line woes, you know, we've been talking about Miami's offensive line woes. Their offensive line was so much worse. And while I think Hurricanes fans should feel good about beating FSU for a third time in a row, I think they have to also be measured and understand that this Florida State team is not very good. What do you ultimately take away from it? I mean, because obviously I know you're excited they beat Florida State because they're a rival, but when you look at this win, do you at all say to yourself, okay, hey, let's not go crazy here? Well, what I say is like, well, Florida State has talent. Let's not, you know, get twisted. It's just that they're in a coaching disarray. But I was more so impressed that the kids focused and showed up and it wasn't a close game. And I was looking at this three-game stretch, Pitt, FSU, Louisville, to see where we were. And we're two-thirds of the way there. But now here's a key point. 
Coach Johnson used to always say, you have a little success and people start patting you on the back and feeling good about yourself. And that's when complacency slips in. And I think that's what we got to guard against this week because Louisville runs a really tricky offense. And uh, they do some things on defense that, you know, if you don't take them seriously, well, you'll end up like Virginia, getting beat. But I think I think the thing that's going to help us this week is if we win this game, we're bowl eligible. So Manny has something to, you know, focus on, give him a goal. And I think, I think that helps. Yeah, I think it's certainly good, like you said, to have a carrot to dangle over their head because I think, you know, the one thing we haven't we haven't been able to really do yet is trust these kids because, yes, they had the players only meeting a couple of weeks ago before the Pittsburgh game after Jaron missed practice and the whole drama going on behind the scenes, and like I said, it was a kumbaya moment sort of in the locker room. After the game last night, it felt like a kumbaya moment with the fans because, you know, everybody stuck around to celebrate with them. Manny was enjoying the moment. But the reality is there's still three games to play. And these kids have shown us in the past that they can let their foot off the gas pedal. So you're absolutely right. I think, you know, they have to earn our trust as a team, those young guys. You know, DJ Dallas talked about it in the postgame interview. We're a different team since that meeting. But in the end, what really speaks to that are the results on the field and the consistency. And if this team can run the table, which is very conceivable here because, you know, Louisville is a good team, but they got them at home. They got FIU, you know, who is, to me, they're, they're not a very good team this year. And then Duke, who looked good early in the season, but they really slipped. So to me, there's no reason why this team can't close out the regular season, 8-4, and four, go to a bowl game win and have some momentum going into next season where now you really feel good about the direction Manny Diaz has this program going. And, you know, yesterday's win to me just backed up that these kids really believe in Manny Diaz. And I said it after the Georgia Tech loss, the big test was going to be, will these kids listen to Manny? Manny sort of set the table for them. He went to the leaders. He told them before that players only meeting, hey, you guys need to take ownership of this team. They listened to him, and now it really feels like these kids have really bought into this coaching staff. And and the way that all sort of lays over is that it, it trickles down into recruiting. Kids, the recruits start to see, hey, wait a minute. You know, these guys aren't just winning, but they're listening to the coaches. They're doing what they need to do. I want to go play for a program like that. And that's, that's really what's going to help Miami, not just this year in 2020, where they could potentially steal a couple of these FSU recruits, but also in the years to come, in 2021 and 2022, and if this program's ever going to get back to contending for national championships, you know this, Kelvin. The recruiting has to improve because while there is talent on this team, it's not nearly what you had when you played at Miami. And I think people have to sort of remember that, that Manny Diaz is really trying to build this thing up. And it's going to take him a few years with recruiting to really bring this team into a real national championship contending level where they don't just go and play Clemson in the ACC championship game, but they go and they beat Clemson and they get into the college football playoff. So it's going to be a process. I think yesterday was a big first step, dominating an FSU team and sort of sending that message to recruits that, hey, you know what? We got our stuff together. I don't know about those guys in Tallahassee, but we got our stuff together. Well, the thing about it is is that, you know, I've been saying this all along. You know, everybody puts, you know, and you need coaching because, you know, you look at the um, FSU program and they're in a disarray because, the administration decided to hire a guy to circumvent the coaching, the play calling 
uh, of the head coach. And that guy was fool's gold. And so now you got the whole program in a disarray. And now there's kids frustrated and they got a, they got a, a feces show. I don't know if I could curse on your show, so I kept it somewhat clean. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you, you know, I've been telling you since the beginning that the kids bought into Manny. I mean, the first sign was, you know, Shaq and Pinkney came back. But, you know, Manny has stockpiled the defense for years to come. Um, the offense, I think he knew it was going to be a problem. I just don't think he knew how much of a problem. And if you look at most of the defections we have, whether it be injuries, transfers, early departures, most of it's been on the defensive, or, uh, excuse me, the offensive side. So two things need to happen. You need to definitely get, you know, definitely keep recruiting. Because if you pay attention to this team, you'll notice that the 18 recruiting class is front and center right now. And that was a pretty good recruiting class because that's the majority of the playmakers on this team. So you need to keep adding on between 19 and then now in 20. But then the second thing is the underclassmen who think they're pro ready need to come back because that's been the Achilles heel of this program. And not just us, but places like us, Florida, Florida state, LSU hasn't really hit Bama that much. Um, but you got guys who are at best fifth round picks this year coming out. And if they come back, they're second, third round pick. And, you know, it's two or three guys on the defense that had should not be even thinking that. But I know that they are because there's agents looming around telling them that. And, you know, it's a bad situation because – you know, the kids and the families think, well, I'm, I'm making $500,000 next year. No, you're not. You're making two hundred and fifty to $300,000 before you've spent a dime. $200,000 is gone. And it just goes downhill from there. And the more, the, 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 the better your play is for the longer period of time, the more money you make, the higher you get drafted. And I think if everybody comes back on defense, We'll have a top five defense, and with the and with the maturity of the offense, we'll be a top five team in preseason. I mean, it's there. That's if we can finish out, like you say, you know, with the five straight, with the you know the five game winning streak. But we got to take it one game at a time because Louisville does some really weird things. They'll put two fullbacks in the backfield, and they'll run a double iso. They run the ball. They run reverses. Their quarterback runs a lot. We won't get the free run that we got this week where we had a stationary target. This guy is going to be more like playing Bryce Perkins, but with a worse arm. So, you know, this 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 game provides some challenges that will keep them on their toes. So, you know, hopefully we can finish strong. I think we can, but Manny, it's just like, it's just like picking up the pistol and playing Russian roulette. Roulette. You don't know if the cha- if the one, if the bullet's in the chamber, or if you're going to get lucky this time. We just don't know with these kids. <laughs> yeah, we like I said, we we they have to they have to sort of earn the trust. And I think yesterday again, it was it was a good moment for the fans, good moment for the players to sort of 
I don't know if I want to call it makeup sex, but it kind of felt like it, you know, between the players and the coaches and the fans. It felt like that moment where everybody was happy again and, you know, there was peace and there was happiness and there was just like, hey, you know what? It feels great to be a hurricane. And it felt like it's been a long time since everyone, even when Manny was hired, it still it still felt like, hey, you know what? Prove it. Prove that you can win a big game. Prove that you can, you know, put one or two or three wins together in a row without taking a step back. And yesterday felt like that. It felt like it was a step forward. Now, I want to I want to sort of put a little asterisk with it. I don't think it was a very big step forward because what I saw offensively, again, Jaron Williams was better. He was able to hit receivers in stride, show you that he could throw the deep ball. But all of that was because the offensive line gave him time to throw, uh, which is something he really hadn't had much of all season long. We keep we, t- we talked about it not too long ago. The offensive line is taking steps forward little by little by little. And in terms of uh, pass protection, um, it, it's you know they that's that's really where the improvement has taken place. By the way, uh, breaking news: it looks like Willie Taggart's been fired. In the middle of the podcast. Is that right, oh. Willie Taggart, Mike Zimmerman? You got an update? Uh, yes, he has been fired. So that's um, just breaking news. No other information at this time. But uh, yes, been fired. Wow. In the middle of the podcast, Kelvin, uh, my immediate reaction is shocking because I thought Florida State uh, was going to give him more than a year and a half, uh, especially because of that $17 million buyout. But it looks like oh, the, the man, Willie Taggart is headed to Puerto Rico or the Bahamas. <laughs> he about to get him a bunch of brand new golf shirts. Uh, he, he, gonna, he about to trick out his golf cart. Man, he about to get it in. So, now, I was just talking about a program in a disarray. Um, they should have, they could have saved themselves $15.5 million by firing Kendall Browse because he's really what the problem was. But now, they'll probably bring him back. They're going to bring in Mark Stoops, more than likely. And um, we'll beat them another three four years wow amazing and 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 i wonder there should be some uh decommitments i think that happened here's a statement from fsu president john thrasher uh he said we had no choice but to fire willie taggart um pretty shocking uh because i think they did have a choice like you said they could have fired a coordinator they could have uh, done a lot of different things, but hey, you know what? It's done now. Willie Taggart has gone out of FSU. Breaking news right Who here in the middle of the podcast. Levitt, Levitt or, or Odell? I'm not sure. I would assume it'd probably be Levitt because he's got the uh, the head coaching experience, but you never know. Um, well, Odell's I, been the interim coach twice, right? But I, maybe maybe it's uh, Odell then. You know, I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, either well, way, uh, <laughs> Miami winning three in a row against FSU—that's the dagger. Man, we, we 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 got a coach fired. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, let's switch the conversation a little bit. Well, uh, well, well let me say this about the yeah. comment you made about the offense. If you take a Georgia's offensive line and put that, that's the difference between Georgia's offense and Miami's offense. Our receivers are better. I mean, is Swift better than DJ Dallas? Maybe. Maybe he's faster. I don't know if he's all the way better. Is Jake Fromm that much better than uh, Jaron Williams? Not really. The difference is Andrew Thomas is about 
the third pick in the draft, and Zion Williams is 18. Isaiah Wilson is a first-round pick, and, you know, Scaife is still getting better. You know, but this time next year, those guys will be Georgia. Well, I, I know you have high hopes for him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ease up on the expectations. I'm going to say they're not going to be Georgia next year because it takes a while for those offensive linemen to grow. But I do expect them to be better for sure. All right, let's talk specifically about the quarterback. I wanted to hit on a couple of important questions after this game. Number one, did Jaron Williams, with his performance yesterday, earn your trust? Yes. Okay, you answered that pretty quickly. Why did he earn your trust? Well, the one problem I had with him, and I thought that it would take time, is that I knew that his deep ball was his issue. But Dan Enos has corrected that. He's somehow... Um, probably more so with the technique than anything, gotten the kid to feel comfortable throwing deep balls. Of course, it also helps that you don't have anybody punching you in the mouth every time you're throwing. So his confidence is better, and it's only going to get better. Now, the one problem I do have with him is he still has a tendency to hold on to the ball too long, and he does not completely check agree. Routes. He missed about four or five check down routes yesterday. And that's the difference between a first down and a punt and a stalling offense. Well, like we said, baby steps, right? I mean, the offensive line came around. They're giving him more uh, time to throw, which you, you saw when he's got it, he can hit the deep ball. Again, it's funny because, you know, Diaz was talking about it after the game. It's, oh, you guys are all talking about how he can't hit the deep throw. Well, guess what? There was reason to say that he couldn't hit the deep throw. He, he wasn't doing it. He was missing guys. It wasn't happening very often. So it was a fair criticism, I think, of, of Jared. But yesterday. No, it, you know, you you guys were fair in that mm-hmm. assessment. I just think that you guys need to give Enos more credit because a lot of that had to be with the kid's mechanics. And he's corrected a lot of mm-hmm. the mistakes. Because he had the accuracy. You know, there are some people who feel like if you're not accurate as a quarterback, you will never be able to do it. Get it, get that in your game. And he has that in his game. Yeah, he, he's, he's certainly ac- certainly accurate. I mean, he's had that in his game. But I think we, we were all sort of limiting him to 15 to, you know, 15 to 20 yards in. That that's kind of where the accuracy stopped. And yesterday what you, what you saw was a quarterback who was stepping into his deep throws who was dropping into the pocket and looked comfortable, you know? I I still don't know that he's completely turned the corner because I feel like when he is pressured, he kind of gets those happy feet, you know, where 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 you can see a little bit of panic in his face. But again, the guy's a redshirt freshman. You know, let's give him a full season and let's see where he's at next year. But the question was, did he earn your trust? He still has not earned my trust. And here's, here's why. Because he was named the starting quarterback, right? He had the job, got hurt. Lost it to Nikosi because he was injured, and then in the middle of the season decided to skip a practice. Jaron Williams is going to have to prove to me the rest of this year that, that imma- those immaturity issues, whatever it was that he had behind the scenes going on, that that's really, really behind him. Because the quarterback of the University of Miami can't be missing practice uh, for undisclosed reasons. He shouldn't be, there shouldn't have to be a team meeting to tell Jaron Williams to get your act together. So to me, while I think Jaron has turned a corner in terms of throwing the deep ball, and, and being more accurate with it, you, you see better uh, release point, everything that Danny Nose has worked with him on. Uh, he's still got, again, it's like the rest of the team. Show me. You know, show me the rest of this season, then then you'll earn my trust. So uh, all right, next subject. Go ahead. So you still got the Uncle Robert syndrome. I don't blame you. I mean, 
We we we, <laughs> we, we go to the ceremony. This is his, his third year sober, and everything's good. We eating cake, and he's drinking fruit punch. But he's gonna go over to the post office tomorrow, and some eighty year old lady's gonna come in there, and is he gonna turn the corner, and you know, or is he gonna go back and he's gonna smoke up a, two or three crack rocks? We don't know. <laughs> so I, I, I well, Jared. The opportunity's there, though, and I feel like his teammates are on him, which is a good sign. I mean, you know what it's like. I'm sure you probably have examples of guys that you guys had to stay on top of in the locker room, right? It just shouldn't be the quarterback, in my opinion. That shouldn't be the guy that you got to stay on top of Well, let's not, so that he's doing his job all the time. Let's just be realistic. All of these coaches are in a new world. You you, you know, it, it. remember, Tua was about to go to USC, so it ain't just us dealing with this new mindset, mm-hmm. you know. And right. I think Manny uh, must have taken some psychology classes or whatever book Jimmy had, Jimmy passed it on to him because he's Jedi mind-tricking these guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a beautiful thing. It's one thing if Manny's saying, hey, man, you got you to gotta do better. But when you start hearing it from your peers, hey, man, you're letting us down. It's a totally different message. And I think he'll be better yeah. the rest of the year because of the success he had. And now he understands why Dan Enos has given him that homework. So I trust him. Now, I'm not foolish. I know that, you know, all it takes is him to go up to the local liquor store and Willie Joe hands him a, a drink and that drink turns into a crack rock. And next thing you know, he's sitting in his living room. And his boxers crying. But I hope we don't see that. <laughs> but this week is going to be yes. a test because Louisville is going to blitz the hell out of him. So we've talked about Jaron Williams in the quarterback position and, and how he's getting more time to throw. I wanted to give you some some offensive grades here as far as pass protection from this last game for, from Pro Football Focus. Navon Donaldson had an 84.5 pass blocking grade, which is uh, uh, excellent. Zion Nelson, 73.9. I think that might have been his highest pass blocking grade of the season. Corey Gaynor, 84.8. DJ Scaife, 80.3. Anytime you're like over 70 when it comes to these grades, that's like a really good game. So when you're in the 80s, that's pretty much excellent. So, you know, that shows you what a great job they did pass blocking. But the one area that remains the issue that these guys are still working on is run blocking. And, Kelvin, I wanted to ask you as as a guy who was there in the trenches, why hasn't this team been able to have more success running? I mean, we've talked about the point of a tank not, not getting enough push. Does that still the case? Are you starting to see more push? What what are you sort of seeing as far as run the run game is concerned? Part of it is the push could be better, but also teams are stacking the box on first and second down to uh, stop us from running the ball. And the reason why you know they are is because we do a lot of play action on first down, and it works because. They know we're trying to run the ball, so they um, they stack the box, and there's we've we've actually had the unfortunate uh, task of playing a lot of teams that stunt and slant. So on top of having the box of eight people in the box, there's a lot of movement, and so um, it's just you know. They're getting better, but it's it's not it's incremental. It's not that huge. Okay. Um, 
that kind of explains it. I want to get some perspective from you on that. What about the, the receiving game? Obviously, Jeff Thomas had the touchdown catch, four catches, 84 yards yesterday. To me, the bigger development is D. Wiggins. He scored his first touchdown, the 56-yard uh, you know, grab, catch, and run, where the two FSU guys basically quit on the play. What do you have to say as far as it, has D turned a corner in your eyes, and how important is it ultimately by the end of the season that D. Wiggins does? Because you know K.J. Osborne's leaving. Jeff Thomas might very well leave because you know he's got a kid in the NFL and, and whatnot. Uh did, was there a sign yesterday from you that D. Wiggins turned a corner? I think, yeah, because he had some success. It actually started last week. Um, you know, I the more I'm around this generation of kid, the more it's interesting that stuff that we all, your your age, my age range, we take for granted, um, are big things with these kids and just the little success that he's had the last couple of weeks making clutch catches. And then this week, the stuff that Stubblefield is telling him in practice, because if you notice when he was talking to you guys in the post game, he talked about how, you know, the coach told him, you know, put, you know, stick your foot, make the move. And now he's seen it work. He'll work that much harder. And, I think he realizes that he's got a chance to be the number one receiver and he'll just work harder and get better. I mean, you know, these kids aren't degenerates. They're good kids. It's just that it's just amazing how little things either boost up their confidence or, you know, shoot it down. And we need him to step up because we really only have Harley and Pope and uh, Peyton coming back next year because I don't expect Thomas to come back. And Njuku is going to stay at tight end, and I think he'll probably transfer. So, you know, we're going to need to get five receivers in next year. We'll probably get a Juco receiver, and we need, you know, that's the one weakness we have going into next year. Yeah, Jeremiah Peyton got a snap or two in the game yesterday. He came in, I saw I think on the third series, didn't catch a pass. But, again, Mark Pope, one catch for eight yards. You'll have Harley back. He had one catch for 34 yards yesterday. But, again, so important that by the end of the season, I, I would say that's the number one priority by the end of the season. You want another receiver to be ready to take on the lead role for next year once K.J. Osborne and Jeff Thomas are gone. Obviously, you still have Brevin Jordan. He had six catches for 48 yards. But you need a difference maker who can get down the field and make the big play and help Jaron Williams out. And, and like you said, Miami has some openings at that receiver spot. Uh Looking at the defense, and we got to talk about the unicorn, Gregory Rousseau having four sacks yesterday. He's got 12 now. He's he's on pace to actually have more sacks than Daniel Stubbs did in 1986 when he had 17 sacks, the most in a single season by a hurricane. I'm curious, um, when, you, when you look at Greg, how much better can this guy still get? And, and when you saw that performance yesterday, what, what did you think in your head? I'm thinking that. He's doing this off of length, athletic ability, and effort. Now, he showed something yesterday when he had that hand squat. Now he's starting to figure that out. If he could get the techniques that Chase Young has, he would be banned from the league. Well, he could very well be, once Chase Young leaves, the best pass rusher in college football next season. And to, for Miami to have a weapon like that, uh, what he's really developed into, um, it's it's remarkable. Uh, you know, you talk about a three-star kid, and, and, and I encourage our listeners to go back and read the feature story I did on him last week, where I got a talk, uh, I got a chance to talk to his brother Marvin, 
and his parents, uh, you know, Haitian immigrants who came to this country amid all the political and ter- turmoil over there back in the 80s. Uh, they raised a kid who was so self-sufficient and, you know, he's only 19 years old. He was 17 when he enrolled at Miami in January last year. And, you know, here's a kid that's still growing into his body. You know, from the age of six, he was folding his own clothes. He's been cleaning his parents' house, you know, sweeping floors since, you know, before he was a teenager. And he's just got this self-discipline and drive about him that is special. So, uh, you know, to see what he's done these last two weeks with seven sacks is really, really impressive. And I will say this, you know, not only is Greg Rousseau taking his game to an elite level, but this pass rush, nine sacks, 16 tackles for loss in this game. Miami's now third in sacks and third in tackles for loss in all of college football. When Manny Diaz's defenses are at their best, that's when they're they're leading the, the, the country in those two stats. And I think if Miami can continue to be one of those elite programs where they've got you know, four or five guys that can all get to the quarterback consistently. That's really what can make them, what could really speed up this process, I think, of, of them maybe being able to beat a Clemson and get to a college football playoff. Well, well I'll say this. The defensive, defensive line is stacked because what's going to happen, I hope Ford doesn't make the mistake of going in this draft. But let's just say he does. Jordan Miller can step in. We got the three freshmen. We'll probably recruit uh, more say he's coming. We're good at defensive tackle. But Nesta next year will be the bell cow. And he has some pass rush ability. Him and Miller, if they are the two defensive tackles, they're going to require one-on-one. They're going to require some attention inside. And whoever is the other defensive end, whether it be Garvin or or Jalen Phillips, Jeremiah uh, Harvey, uh, Chance Williams, Quentin Williams, whoever it is, the opposite of Greg Russo, they're going to get a one-on-one. And yesterday reminded me of when I was playing, where the front four um, dictated the play, the play of the secondary, the play of the offense. And that yesterday was vintage Miami defensive football. Four down linemen dictating how the game was played. And that's what Manny's been trying to get back to. And we're very close, mm-hmm. uh, barring any injuries. And I'm going to be honest with you. Ford, Garvin come back, it's going to be very hard for anyone to run the ball on us. And our secondary is going to be even better. Well, you hope. You hope certainly that, that Ivy and Blades and those guys take some steps forward. You know, obviously like some of the other predecessors that they had where Sheldrick Redwine and Jaquan Johnson, they were, really weren't great players as sophomores, but they made that leap their junior year. So you're hoping that's what those guys do because then if they do, then it won't sting as much when you lose the Shaq Quarterman and you lose a, a Michael Pinkney to graduation um, because you're going to be so solid up front in the front, front four and then you're going to have, you know, really experienced defensive backs and safeties that you can let a few young guys play there with a Zach McLeod at the linebacker position. You could you could let, you know, Gilbert Frierson make a few mistakes uh, at that striker spot. You can let uh, a Patrick Joyner or a Sam Brooks uh, grow into that position at linebacker next season. And, and, it will, and Avery Huff as well, right, once he's able to get on the field. Um, can't end this podcast without talking about Bubba Bolden. Uh, he had to be helped off the field. Um, basically uh, by the coaching staff and the training staff. 
uh, after uh, breaking what appeared to me was a broken ankle. Um, we'll find out when Manny Diaz uh, talks to Joe Rose in the morning on WQAM. But uh, by, for all intent and purposes, it looks like Bubba Bolden's done for this season. Um, so that's going to affect the secondary a little bit because they were really having some nice depth there at the safety spot. Uh, I, I asked you before we came on the pod if, you, if you'd ever seen a, a teammate get hurt. You guys celebrated more than anybody else, those Canes in the 80s and 90s. Um, do you remember anybody mm. ever getting hurt through no. a celebration? No, and if they would have got hurt, the clowning that would have gone on, they would have never lived it down, ever. Like, even right now, I mean, no, we never had that happen. I mean, it was just a you that 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 was like a freak accident um and it's it's funny because you see guys jump all the time up and do those chest bumps, but this mm-hmm. is the first time I've ever seen somebody really get seriously hurt well it looked it looked like Bubba slipped at at a certain point, and I don't think he was expecting Gervin Hall, but it's gonna be interesting to see how Gervin reacts to this because when you hurt a teammate. Uh, obviously, I don't, guys get hurt in practice all the time, right? You remember seeing that, I'm sure. Guys tearing ACL or, or you know, what? How tough is that for people to deal with mentally when you hurt a teammate in practice? I mean, this was obviously a game; it wasn't on purpose. But you've seen guys deal with with just the psychology of it, you know, when when they hurt somebody who's their teammate. Well, I'll give you one example, two examples. One, my freshman year. It was the first big scrimmage. Brian Blaze goes up the seam, or excuse me, down the sideline, catches the ball, gets knocked into the bushes. Is out for like a week, two weeks. It was Benny. Oh, wow. There was no emotion. No emotion. As a matter of fact, his response was, hey, he knew better. <laughs> okay. Like, so that's one. What was the second one? Carl Richardson, um, my senior year, we were in bowl practice. And so CJ had been playing DB, but he played running back and DB in Dallas. And so we were, you know, bowl practice. They put him in at running back and inside run. And Sean Thompson, who was Billy Thompson's younger brother, Billy Thompson played with the Heat back in the day. Mm-hmm. So we run a run an inside zone. CJ cuts it back. Sean's in the hole. He gives him a wiggle. Sean tears his ACL. Wow. I mean, there really wasn't much emotion. <laughs> it was just like. Yeah. Well, but this is different, I, mean, I guess, because like, you, you, you're trying not to hurt a guy, I guess. Maybe it's harder. Would you agree that it's probably going to be tougher for a guy like Gervin to deal with, or do you think he's fine? May, mainly because of this generation's kid is different. But mm-hmm. I think. I think it'll be all right. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they got a staff psychologist, so I'm sure they'll make him go see the staff psychologist. I mean, honestly, uh, we probably would have, you know, after we found out, there probably would have been a whole lot of people ragging on Bubba and some, well, more on Bubba than Gervin. But like I said, these kids are a little different. I don't think it's going to affect them that much. Because these guys seem to be pretty close. Um, and, you know, Bubba's mom, you know, she says that, you know, she raised him to be resilient. And, you know, they're a half, a glass half full type people. So he'll see the positive and make the best of it. 
that's the thing I like about him and Bourbon Jordan, those Vegas guys. They just, they just happy. Yeah. Well, he was happy yesterday getting his his first uh, pick with the Hurricanes, and then unfortunately, uh, just just a bad break. Uh, you know, you're trying to celebrate that moment. Just a bad break, literally. <laughs> Calvin, I appreciate you coming on with me, man, and uh, and breaking down this Florida State win. Talking about Willie uh, Taggart news, I know everybody's blowing up your phone right now. They want to get you on the on the uh, on the horn to to talk about this firing. So I'll let you go do that. But thanks for coming on the Wide Right Podcast. And uh, to our listeners, we'll be back on uh, Thursday, uh, previewing the Louisville game and catching up on everything that the coaches and players talk about in practice this week. So that's going to do it for Mike Zimmerman, my producer, for Kelvin Harris. I'm Manny Navarro. We will see you on Thursday. Manny, Raul from Hialeah, baby. We went to Trailer Hasi and we destroyed the Seminoles, baby. We tossed that entire team into the Cachahuti River, baby. I told you we were going to do it. It was so beautiful yesterday, Manny, to see all the FSU Mighty men leaving the stadium so sad with their sister wives in their hands. All right, Manny, even the little kids were crying and looking up at their mother slash aunt and saying, my God, but why did the hurricane do this to us? Ay, que malos son los huracanes. Greg Russo. Ay, Manny, Russo, with those arms, he was swallowing up quarterbacks like my abuelita around the box of roquetas. We used to call her Big Mama, but then eventually we just started calling her Big Hama. Eh, Honey Brook, a quarterback of Florida State. Oh, mama, como le metieron paro. They broke his peepee money. They broke his peepee by the second quarter. Next game, he can't be Honey Brook anymore. He's just Brook. Eh, Cam Akers, eh, que la quieres. Cam Akers. He thought he was the best running back in America, but he got stuffed more than a sun-giving turkey yesterday, baby, by that defense. Huh? San Givings, by the way. Oh, yeah, it says Santo, yo respeto más. San Givings is my favorite snake. I love San Givings. Y Janet Williams, baby, throwing bombazos like he was Ted Kaczynski. Él estaba tirando bombs, darts. He was en fuego, manny, en fuego. En mis gorditos, the offensive line, le dieron un, un batido tribu before the game. They got him nice and plump, and they block everybody. They block everybody. And how can I forget my friend Cameron Price? The price is right, Cameron. It's finally right. Oh, yeah, I got to tell you, Manny, I love Cameron Price ever since he was on that show growing pains. He was such a good actor. I love that kid. I'm glad to see him kicking for the University of Miami. Oh, yeah, let's go, K's next week. Beat of the Louisville. Beat of the Louisville, the Cardinales. We're going to get him, baby. Yeah, you big yeah. cabin, baby. Ain't no cabin over here. Ain't no cabin.